Salami, cheese, pickles in a barrel. Hello, my name is Will and you're listening to Exploding Helicopter, the only podcast in the world trying to expose the truth about helicopter explosions in film. Now, the 1970s were a golden era for conspiracy thrillers. Films like Executive Action, Three Days of the Condor, The Parallax View, All the President's Men or Francis Ford Coppola's The Conversation all seemed aimed at a newly cynical and questioning public. Looking back, it's tempting to see this clutch of films as a reflection of the times. The Kennedy assassinations continued to cast a long shadow over that decade and the Watergate scandal and the Pentagon paper revelations in the early 1970s caused the American public to ask profound questions about who and how their country was being run. So on this show, we're looking at another film that was part of the 70s paranoia cycle, 1977's The Domino Principle. To help me review the film, my guest is a fully paid-up member of the tinfoil hat-wearing brigade. They're definitely out to get him. It's Todd Liebenau from the Forgotten Film Cast. Welcome back to the show, Todd. Uh, thank you. It's always great to be on the show. I love uh, exploding helicopter. I love talking about films that have exploding helicopters. So I'm glad to be back. Uh, well, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm glad to have you back, but I hope that... Uh, you made sure that you weren't followed, uh, that you kind of changed taxi a couple of times and that you're dialing into this podcast from a, from a payphone. I, I am stashed away in my underground bunker, which means my basement, which is where I always do podcast recordings. So. <laughs> Excellent. Well, as I've already sort of alluded to, the, the, this is a, a 1970s uh, conspiracy thriller that we're uh, tackling. And, uh, you know, we were uh, both guests on a, a Lambcast episode a while back talking about the film JFK. So I've got a bit of a suspicion that you're a, a bit of a fan of uh, conspiracy thrillers. So, uh, yeah, I just wondered what you made of that. That genre and if you've got any particular favorites there yeah i i do enjoy the genre um you know sometimes it's the type of thing where i i roll my eyes a little bit at them and go well how could ever anyone ever believe this was actually a thing you know type of thing and <laughs> and i admit with jfk jfk is a film I, I do really enjoy i think uh i probably rank it as oliver stone's best for me just in terms of the the style of the film i admit when i watch it now i go man i i you know most of this is a lie from front to to back you know <laughs> i just i can't understand how i was duped by some of it uh back when i first saw it in the <laughs> 90s but I still think it's an interesting film. Um, but if I got to go for a favorite of the genre, especially in the 70s, uh, you got to go with another Gene Hackman film here, The Conversation. I mean, what a what a wonderful movie that is. Just sucked me in. Uh, you know, and, and I, I just it was one that it, it was on my list of films that I hadn't seen that should have seen. You know, I should have seen long before I finally watched it. I think I watched it on a on a flight. I was on a trip somewhere. I downloaded it and watched it, and I just was totally engrossed. You know, and it, you know, it's a case where you're like landing the plane, and the movie's not done yet. You're going, wait, I just need to sit here and finish this movie because it's so wonderful. Yeah, it's one of those movies that um, first came on my radar about 25 years ago, and it's uh, an interesting film because I, th I think it's it's one whose um, stock has risen over the years. I think that some of uh, Coppola's other films, you know, the Godfather films, uh, Apocalypse Now, have uh, oh, sure. you know for a long time. I think they grab the attention of people in terms of Coppola's uh, CV. But I, it's been really interesting to see over the years how the awareness and the stock of the conversation has has risen over um, you know over the last couple of decades. 
Well, yeah, it's understandable how the conversation would kind of be you know, stuck in the shadow of those other films because those are such well-known films and have such a pedigree to them. And they just are you know, so impressive on the surface, whereas the conversation is, you know, quite understated and, and, mm. and mysterious. And it's one that that, you know, just kind of floats in there and you go, oh, wait a second, this is Coppola. Oh, wait a second. It's got Gene Hackman. Oh, you know, this is this is a film that I, I, I would probably i mean as much respect as i have for those other films that you mentioned i'd probably go to the conversation before i go to the godfather or uh, apocalypse now mm. well it's interesting that you're such a fan of that film because uh, obviously the conversation starred uh, gene hackman and uh, gene hackman turns up in the film that we're going to be talking about today so uh, yeah perhaps we can uh, we can have a little bit of a uh, a comparison between uh, those two uh, hackman conspiracy thrillers <laughs> absolutely Okay, well, I think uh, let's get stuck into uh, the domino principle. So let's see if Trailer Man can give us a quick thumbnail sketch of the film's main character. Subject, Roy Tucker. Convicted of first-degree murder. Impulses are obsessive. Hostile. Antisocial. Temperament unstable. Capable of erratic, violent behavior. Considered highly dangerous. They think he's perfect. I represent a group of people who might be able to help you. The domino principle is about to begin. Get me out of maximum security. All right. My cellmate's Spavana, get him out too. All right. They're never anything you can identify. They're just they, most of all, they manage things like money, people. Don't look at me like that. Don't look at me like I'm some kind of a bug, you or anybody else. The domino principle is in motion. Smile. There's $200,000 in your name. We're pulling you out of here tomorrow. That should tell you something. The domino principle can never be stopped. Roy Tucker is serving time for the murder of his wife's first husband. In prison, he's approached by a man working for a mysterious organization who makes him an offer. In exchange for helping him escape and start a new life, Tucker must carry out an unspecified job. After some deliberation, Tucker reluctantly decides to go along with the plan. After his escape, he learns that he is expected to carry out an assassination and refuses. The organization retaliates by kidnapping his wife. Forced by this turn of events, Tucker participates in the hit, but after the job, he finds out that the promise of a new life were hollow and that the mysterious organization has no intention of releasing him from their clutches. We've got an excellent cast in this film. Tucker is played by the great Gene Hackman and there's heavyweight support from Richard Widmark, Eli Wallach and Mickey Rooney. We've also got pedigree behind the camera. The Domino Principle was one of the last films directed by Stanley Kramer. He was best known for uh, the issues pictures like The Defiant Ones, Judgment at Nuremberg and uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Uh, while those films are very well regarded, this one only has a 5.7 user rating on IMDb. But uh, let's find out what my guests think. So, Todd, what did you make of The Domino Principle? Well, yeah, this is a film, I don't know, I, I think it led me down a certain path and then kind of <laughs> changed things on me a bit here. Because, I mean, 
when you approached me about uh, possibly doing this film, my first response was, oh, it's it's one that I had on my list as potentials for my podcast, the Forgotten Filmcast, because uh, it's something that I saw and I, that looked like it had an interesting premise. It had Gene Hackman, like you said, it had some behind the scenes pedigree and, and nobody talks about this film anymore. So I thought, oh, that that's a great candidate. But since you suggested it first and it's got an exploding <laughs> helicopter, we're talking it, uh, about it on yours. And. When I sat down to watch this film, it starts with this bombastic opening that just really <laughs> grabbed me. You've got, you know, about three, four minutes of this whole intro that uses black and white stock footage and, and images just flashing mm. every couple of seconds. And this narrator that's saying, did you really decide to come to this theater tonight? Are you in control of your life? And, and setting up this whole premise. And then it has this strange opening credit sequence where we've got you know, dominoes being stacked on pictures of Gene Hackman as a kid, <laughs> pictures of Gene Hackman as a 20-year-old, whatever. And and then we go into this movie that then just meanders, for, especially for about the first <laughs> 70 minutes of this movie. I mean, what you said that it has to do with Gene Hackman being, you know, brought in by this organization to carry out some unspecified task. Yeah, we don't even know what it is for 70 <laughs> minutes of this movie. <laughs> and I thought for a movie that starts so strongly setting you up with this mysterious premise and there's going to be this mysterious organization and such, I, I found much of this film to be pretty boring, I hate to say it. Well, Todd, you're not going to find a, a lot of argument from me because, uh, like you say, when I stumbled across, across this film, I was like, really excited. I, I looked at the cast. I thought, like, man, these are actors I really like. Stanley Kramer, yeah. he's made some great movies. And this is, you know, this sounds like a, a really interesting conspiracy thriller made in the, the decade that popularized that particular genre. I mean, I just thought... You know, even if this is a bit below average, this is still going to be a really enjoyable watch. But after I sat down and watched this thing, I mean, this was I mean, this is one of the most frustrating films I can remember watching in like <laughs> yeah. some time. And I, I, I finished watching it and I was just I was just sort of my my jaw was agape. And I was just like, what was that? What was that? <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, it is just it. it uh, I mean, we, we'll, I think we'll get into the into the details of the, of the sort of the plot and stuff. But it just it just seems overly ambitious and it just seems like something that was might have been a good idea on paper and a good idea in a in a sort of pitch session but actually in terms of when they sort of flesh it out and make it into a movie it is just all of the problems that really should have been anticipated really just come home to roost and as you say this film just meanders along and it is yeah it's not it's not a good film well, and I wondered, you know, trying to look at some of the trivia, some of the background on this film, you know, if it was a case where this film was sold before it was really tested as to whether it would work. Because my understanding is it's based on a book uh, mm. by a guy named Adam Kennedy, who I guess had been an actor in movies and then went on to, you know, he wrote a few screenplays. But this is, I think, the only movie that's actually based on a novel that he wrote and then he adapted his own screenplay. And it was sold, I guess, just a matter of months after the book was even published. And, you know, based on the movie, I'm going, is the book that hot? Because I, I, it doesn't feel like it here. 
But yeah, all these guys just seem to be collecting a paycheck here. I, I think Gene Hackman even admitted that he took this gig because of the paycheck and, and I think even turned down roles in things like Jaws and Close Encounters and, and you know some some movies that are pretty well known to be in this just because he was going to get a few more bucks about it. I mean, Gene Hackman's one of my favorite actors of all time, but Gene, you 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 kind of <laughs> you kind of made a mistake on that one. He certainly did. He certainly did. And uh you know, I think we probably need to uh, to sort of talk about the the, the plot of this film. It, uh, most conspiracy thrillers usually have a, a, an identifiable villain, whether it's a, a single villain or a big corporation or, or a group of cynical individuals. And I guess what probably excited the people involved in this project was that the domino principle was in some ways it was going to be the ultimate conspiracy thriller because... Unlike some of the other films that we've already mentioned that uh, fit into that genre, in this conspiracy thriller, you never find out who or what is going on with this conspiracy. And I guess on some level, that is quite an exciting premise because you think, oh, I mean, wow, that's I mean, talk about going to the next level. But unfortunately, what that just means is that you have no investment with what you're watching on the screen or certainly that was my experience oh yeah absolutely i mean once i reached a certain point in this movie i i I was i kind of had to have a moment of pause and go wait have they told us yet what gene hackman is doing no i don't think they have and you know every couple of moments that i'm going they still haven't told us they still haven't told us i don't know who these guys in the suits are or what you know what mm. what's their motivation what's going on here and even then when we get to the point where they expose gene hackman to what they're going to have him do it, it's an odd sequence where they go out in the helicopter throw a bunch of paint cans in the water have him practice some sharpshooting and then we cut away from that and they're landing and gene hackman says i won't do it <laughs> And we go, wait, what What are you not going to do? We haven't been told what this is yet. And then even when we get to that, uh, I mean, are we even told? I mean, you know, I, I, obviously, I think we've said already it's a, it's an assassination plot. But when we get to the moment of, of that event happening, are we even told who it is that he was assassinating? No, we're not, no. We're not, we're not told at all. Uh, I mean, you're kind of you assume that this is a person of significance of significant importance because they are um, they they live in a very nicely appointed home and a, a whole bunch of uh, heavily armed security guards come running out of the property um, after the uh, hit takes place. So you can assume that this is somebody of great importance, but we never find out who that is. We know we, we you know you don't know whether it's just a you know it could be an important businessman, whether it's a politician. Or, I mean, it could even be the president. But there's just absolutely no details as to who this person is that these mysterious people want dead. There's no information as to why this person needs to be killed. There's no information as to what will happen if this succeeds or what will happen if this fails. And there's just no information at all. And it just makes it impossible to have like any sort of investment in this particular film because the the objectives are so unclear so you just think well why does any of this matter yeah well and you're also left in the dark as to why hackman is the guy for the job yeah you know i mean he's just this random guy in prison there because of you know a a murder that involved his wife and her ex-husband and all you know 
and, and we're never really given too terribly much details on that either. And for some reason, Eli Wallach and the guy with the weird glasses decide that this is <laughs> that he's the man for the job. I'm going this just like picking some random. I mean, th- th- that's almost no better than if they had picked me for the job. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just makes no sense because you just think, well, why do they have to go through this elaborate charade of you know that because the first 40 minutes of this film is a kind of courtship that takes place in prison when these uh you see these mysterious guys having these a series of meetings with gene hackman where they say that they've got the power to get him out of prison they've got the power to reunite him with uh with his wife set him up for life and gene hackman's like well you know he's not necessarily doesn't he because he's not told anything about well what's he getting into he's not necessarily jumping at the prospect of getting into bed with these people so this sort of courtship takes place over over 40 minutes and during that period we never find out why gene hackman is the person that has to do this particular job it's not like no nobody mentions that he's the best rifle shot in the whole of America. So he's, you know, Mm. they've got to have him because he's the the best ever marksman. Or, you know, there's nothing, we never learn anything about his backstory which gives you any idea as to why he is the right man for these conspirators. And, you know, that mystery, it just adds to this general sort of confusion. And at the end of this film, this sort of anger and annoyance you have with this movie. And you just think, what, what, what? Please, you know, give me. I mean, I don't I hate films that explain everything, but this film explains nothing, and it's yeah. really, really irritating. There's, there's brief mention that Hackman was in the military, that he was in Vietnam, but we don't know what he did. We don't know why that's so important to things. I mean, to be honest, all throughout this film, there are little things peppered here and there that you go, now, if, if you had run with that, you'd had a, a better movie. Mm. In that opening 40 minutes, you know, we spend a lot of time in prison. We, we kind of go back and forth between Hackman meeting with these shady characters and then just Hackman's life in the, the cell block. And a lot of that is with his cellmate, who's played by Mickey Rooney. And I'm going, and I should add, foul-mouthed Mickey Rooney, <laughs> which if you've never seen that before... That's that's a weird treat, but I would have much rather have had something that focused more on, you know, being like a prison drama with Hackman and Rooney, you know, they're, you know, as these two strangely, you know, put together characters, you know, one guy's an older guy, one's a younger guy, you know, I I think that could have been a great film. I've seen Mickey Rooney in other prison films and I just kind of associated him with that. I I was like, Oh, Mickey Rooney's in prison again. Okay, great. He's with Hackman. This has promise, but no, that goes nowhere. I mean, I'm not a screenwriter, but there could have been some changes here, which, you know, I I kind of feel that that beginning part of the film, it needed some, you know, it's never really clear why, Gene Hackman ultimately decides to go along with this conspiracy. It feels if they'd introduced some sort of ticking clock element there where, mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, maybe Mickey Rooney has his cellmate says, you know, I, I've got to get out of here because I've got to see my, you know, my dying daughter or something, you know, right. some some sort of time <laughs> pressure element where which which kind of t- cranks up the pressure on Gene Hackman to make a decision and go along with this. But no the film doesn't do any of that and it just deflates the whole proposition and the whole premise can we talk about the villains here for a moment i mean you've we've already mentioned we've got 
a, a really good cast of people mm. here who have a, a heck of a lot more potential than what they do here. I mean, like I said, when I saw Eli Wallach was in this, you know, I saw his name pop up in the opening credits. So I said, like, okay. And then we established that he's one of these shady characters. I was like, great. But I mean, has Eli Wallach ever been more wasted than what he <laughs> is here? I mean, you know, he's, mm. he can be so sinister in stuff. Oh yeah. And here just any opportunity for that. He just draws a gun on Hackman and says, move it, buddy. You know? And it's like, what? Come on. <laughs> well, Eli Wallach is one of those actors. He just always looks like he's up to no good. And, yeah. you know, here he is playing a, a villain behind what we're meant, led to believe is some sort of massive conspiracy. So you're, you're kind of rubbing your hands together. You're licking your lips and you're thinking, okay, we're going to get some juicy Eli Wallach here. But uh, no, I mean, he's, they could have had uh, anyone playing this particular role. I mean, I don't even know how many lines he really gets in this film. I mean, he, right, he, he, right. he can't have much more than a page of dialogue in in the in the whole thing. Well, and that's the thing. They have, you know, kind of three different figures who are all kind of uh, there as our main villains. And you never really get a sense that any one of them is the one really in charge. Maybe that short changes the whole thing because you really want to hang on to one mm -hmm. villain in particular who's the slime ball. Eli Wallach is there and, like I said, kind of wasted. You've got Richard Widmark. And again, you're going, you could have done so much more with this guy. I think the one villain that did kind of resonate for me was the one played by Edward Albert. He's kind of this younger guy and comes across as kind of this sniveling mm. slime ball type of a thing. And uh, and I got to admit, a lot different than what I'm used to seeing him uh, again you don't mean to keep mentioning my podcast, but on a recent episode of my show, we talked about the film Butterflies Are Free, which uh, he appeared. I think it was one of his first movies he was in with Goldie Hawn. He plays this young blind man who's trying to set up on, out on his own and he develops this, uh, you know, romantic interest in Goldie Hawn. And it's a very sweet performance. And here he just comes across as this sniveling slime ball. Uh, but again, because he's sharing, you know, ha ha they have to divide up the villain responsibilities between uh, him and, and Wallach and Widmark. He doesn't really get a chance to shine. But if, if I was going to hang my hat on any one of these villains, it was him. Yeah, I would agree. He definitely comes across as the strongest character of the three. And I, I agree with the point that you make. There's just there's just simply too many of them. I think probably you could just lose Eli Wallach. I mean, the film doesn't really know what to do with him. And I think if you axe him, then you've got a potentially interesting dynamic between Edward Albert and uh, Richard Widmark. You know, Richard Widmark is the, the, I guess he's the sort of the senior partner in the mm -hmm. sort of mysterious conspiracy guys. And, you know, he's an actor that I personally really like. He's got this wonderful sardonic delivery to his lines. And, uh, you know, he, he employs some of some of that in, in the part that he plays here is this very sort of cynical, uh, you know, and also kind of weary uh, man who is he's kind of in charge of the consp uh, in charge of the conspiracy but equally it's very clear that he's also following orders and even right. and he's just a, a functionary as well and then as you say you've got Edward Albert as this younger cocky more arrogant character and you could have some an, an interesting dynamic between those two and Gene Hackman um, but and you know Eli Wallach he's a bit of a he's a bit of a spare wheel here and it just sort of clogs up a film that really doesn't need any more clogging up than it, than it's already got. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and, I mean, speaking of things that clog up this film, uh, I mean, the top thing I would put on that list would be Candace Bergen. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, I got to admit, 
I'm not a fan of Candace Bergen. I, I mean, you know, she plays Hackman's wife. And, you know, again, talking about how this film meanders, you know, we spend the first part of this film in prison and setting things up and then they let Hackman out and they they reunite him with his wife. And then we spend what? A good 15 minute or so chunk of this movie where it suddenly turns into this romance, this, you know, where it's Hackman and Bergen in love on the beach and you're going <laughs> driving along singing in a singing in a car i mean it's, yeah i mean but it's almost it's almost embarrassing to watch and and bergen i mean you know don't get me wrong even though I, i'm not a fan i admit she she can she's a good actress she can do some good things even if i'm not a fan but her performance here is cartoonish i mean in the the first moment where she's reunited with hackman and the waterworks come it is just not a good performance. And I, and I think that whole aspect that you're talking about here, the kind of the romance with Candice Bergen, it it speaks to a, a massive problem this film has with, with pacing. And, you know, we've, we've already said it, we spend far too long at the beginning of this film setting up the conspiracy. We're sort of 70 minutes into it before we even get to the assassination or or even really get to address what gene hackman is going to be doing for these guys mm. and even then we we kind of the, the the kind of the the assassination is carried out and then even then the, the film still when it should be sort of cranking up into into top gear it still 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 manages to find time to you know have a, a little sort of you know a further baggy interlude with uh, gene hackman's uh, wife well, and and then as we move to the ending too, I mean things just turn more and more ridiculous. It, it seems like they're just trying to stack, you know, shock mm. moment onto shock moment uh, to try and and give that impression like they were setting up in the beginning of the film, like nobody's in control and ever, you know, you're not in control of your destiny and and all this stuff. And you know, as it gets to the end, I was just confused. I, I didn't know what was going on anymore. You know, there's some characters we see come back into things. I don't know how much we want to spoil on the, on this, but you know, there's some characters that come back that you go, wait, that makes no sense at all. <laughs> Yeah, and and there are some revelations, as you say. There are some. We learned that actually, you know, these conspirators have actually been apparently manipulating Gene Hackman for the last fifteen, twenty years, and yeah. that that isn't justified. It makes no sense. It adds nothing to the film apart from well, the only thing it adds is incredulity in the, in the mind of uh, in in the mind of the viewer. Yeah. Well, and especially the ending shot of the film, which, again, I don't know how much you want to give away on that. But the ending shot of the movie made me go. So what you're telling me is everything I just saw for the last, you know, hour and 45 minutes doesn't matter at all. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I just wasted an hour and 45 minutes because with this final stinger on the movie, you're basically wiping it all away. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I don't know if this film uh, you know, I did a bit of research into this film because it, it just makes so, so little sense. And and some of the stuff, at the, especially some of the stuff at the beginning of the film, I don't know what you thought, Todd, but it seemed it seemed quite choppy. There was quite a lot of sort of cutting between scenes where clearly time had passed between the scenes, but it's never mm. really made that apparent. And uh, you know, I, I, I've seen a couple of references to this having been a longer film and then cut down. 
but I can't see though in any place that I would consider uh, reliable. But um, there, there does seem to me to be some evidence of tinkering with this movie as i say some of the the editing and the edit together of sequences at the beginning of the film feels a bit choppy suddenly at the very end of the film we get a voiceover from gene hackman which at no other point in the film has there been any voiceover and right. i wonder i wonder if that was just added because they needed to sort of try and tie some of the loose strings that uh, existed in this in this film and you know you spoke about the very impactful intro that precedes the title sequence of this film and again that felt to me like it had possibly been done uh you know they'd made the film and then somebody thought uh we really need something at the beginning of this film to sort of establish what the hell (laughs) people are going to be watching i mean uh, yeah uh, that was my impressions i don't know if you had a similar sort of uh, feeling that went through my mind as uh, as well, especially with that opening sequence, because, I mean, if you break it all down, like we said, it's got that opening three minutes or so, which is all the archival stuff, fast pace, all that. The opening credits is this strange thing. I mean, it's, you know, it's very artsy fartsy, you know, with with the images of Hackman and the dominoes. And there's this song that plays that just does not fit the tone of what we've just watched with that whole archival footage thing. And then it goes into the, you know, the story itself where we've got Hackman behind bars and it's very slow paced and such. So, yeah, to have that bombastic opening of things, you mm. got to wonder if that came after like test screenings or something where that yeah. where people, you know, already at half asleep five minutes into the film, <laughs> because, you know, like we've already said several times. If, we, if you just go from the opening credits of the film on, that film just crawls along and meanders for that first 70 minutes before Hackman starts shooting at paint cans. Well, we are both, I think, Gene Hackman fans. What did you make of uh, his performance in this film? I think there's always merit to what Hackman brings. I, I, I don't think I would ever say that Hackman is phoning it in, you know, even with some of the stuff that just is not, you know, top of his game. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, we could talk about, you know, where things went late. I mean, yeah, I think famously his last film was Welcome to Mooseport, you know, 15 years ago. Can can you believe we haven't had a Hackman film for 15 years? I mean, the guy retired and he's gone away and I miss him. But at any rate, 70s Hackman, I mean, we're in prime territory here. We're, we're right within a few years of French Connection and Night Moves and The Conversation and, and you know, all kinds of interesting stuff here. And this movie's kind of plopped in the middle of the, all that. And I'm not going to say it's a bad performance, but it's certainly not prime Hackman. Hackman does what he can with the material, but it's also one of those things where you watch it the whole time and you go... You know, I don't have a clue what's going on here. I, I wonder if he did. I think he's just trying to do the best that he can with what's going on, going, guys, I don't know what's going on, but hey, I'm going to give you what you got on the page. So there you go. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, Todd. I mean, I don't think this is this is far from the best Gene Hackman performance. I'm, I mean, he's still really watchable, even in a film as vanilla or as poor, frankly, as this. And, you know, what I did get from this film was i mean i can watch gene hackman acting in a scene with richard whitmark all day i mean yeah. two great actors I'm, ha- I'm happy to see them chew the fat with each other probably the most interesting uh aspect of uh, of gene hackman's performance is, is probably the mustache that he's rocking in this film <laughs> it's it's a it's a great tash that he's got oh here. yeah yeah he had a few films in the 70s with that mustache i think night moves was another <laughs> one of them but yeah i mean he's got a few good moments 
in this movie. I mean, like you said, you put him with other great actors with, with Richard Woodmark. You got good stuff. I, I enjoyed some of his exchanges with Mickey Rooney when they're just, you know, yes. in their cell, you know, and, <laughs> and they're talking about the delicatessen and, and things like that. I, I really enjoy the scene that comes late in the film where, uh, you know, Hackman breaks the bottle and has it at Edward Albert's throat. Mm. You know, I, I thought that was a nice moment. That's, you know, that's Hackman doing his thing. But yeah, I mean, you know, you put it all together and it's a decent performance, but in the interest of a confusing mess of a movie. <laughs> Okay, well, I think we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to be looking at the exploding helicopter action. He brings the popcorn. She brings the roses. <sighs> Subject Cinema, a tasty new film topic each week with a side order of film reviews. Yum. T.C. Kirkham. But I'm Jane. Kim Brown. What? Over half a million listeners, and you could be the next one. Subjectcinema.com Real movies for real people. We're back, and now we're looking at the exploding helicopter action. This occurs about two-thirds of the way through the film. Gene Hackman and the other conspirators use a helicopter to carry out uh, an assassination. As they make their getaway, the helicopter is damaged by gunfire. Forced to land and wanting to cover their tracks, one of the villainous henchmen throws a briefcase inside the whirlybird. Inside it are some explosives, and as the men run away from the chopper, the parked copter explodes in a plume of red and flame. Todd, what did you make of the uh, exploding helicopter action here? It's all right. <laughs> I mean, the uh, I was glad that there ended up being more to the explosion than I thought there was going to be, because being that we were watching this film for your podcast, I knew that the helicopter was going to explode <laughs> at some point. And so when uh, they're carrying out the assassination and there's return fire and you get some then flames coming out of the tail of the helicopter and all that and it starts spinning around, I went, oh, OK, here we go. And then the helicopter lands safely. And I was like, okay, so was it just that the tail exploded? Was that it? You know, but then they throw in the briefcase and the thing blows up and it's a decent enough explosion. I guess it, what bugged me was that it was just, all right, the helicopter land sa landed safely and then it blows up. You know, I, I, I would have much rather had like a midair explosion or, you know, a, a, a fiery crash. I guess having it land safely kind of ruined it a little bit for me there it was a little impressive though that it explodes so close to the actors the actors mm. are still making their way through the water to escape from it and they're only a good what i'd say 30 feet away from the yeah. helicopter or so when it when it explodes and i i thought you know i mean not to sound callous here but you know after twilight zone you wouldn't have seen that type of thing for sure you know this is definitely before that uh sad incident happened but yeah it was surprising at, at how they do this you know rather big explosion with the rotors still turning and all that with the actors not terribly far away from the action yeah that was something that i noticed as well and i was uh you know taken aback by 
uh, yeah, quite how close they were to the explosion because uh, you know there's no there's no sort of uh, uh, editing cheating going on. They're quite clearly really close to that. You know, whatever it is that they're exploding, whether it's a, an actual helicopter or, or something that they've dummied up to to look like the Huey helicopter, which uh, they are escaping from. Uh, I, I was uh, intrigued by the uh, method of destruction that they do use this you know satchel or, or briefcase of explosives which um, shows remarkable forward planning i guess on on the part of uh, on the part of these conspirators to have uh, brought that along with them and um, it did also seem a bit like a waste of a, a very good leather bag really by uh, <laughs> you know I, I don't know why they couldn't have just taken the bomb out put it in the helicopter and, and kept the bag with them but uh, no they uh, they prime whatever device it is chuck the whole thing in and uh, and skedaddle well and especially when you consider that just a few moments later, I think less than a minute later, they also blow up one of the escape cars because they get out of the helicopter into a car, drive a little bit, and then they get out of that car and into something different and blow that up. And, um, <laughs> you know, you say they wasted a, a nice bag there on the helicopter. Yeah, they put the explosive in the helicopter in a briefcase or something like that. But when they blow up the car, it looked to me like they just had something wrapped in like a sheet and they toss it in the back of the car. I'm like, oh, I guess you, you go with, you know, higher quality stuff when it comes to blowing up a helicopter. But if you're just blowing up a Buick, it doesn't matter. Well, you know, I, I think on this podcast, we have, we approve of uh, higher standards being employed when it comes to uh, <laughs> blowing up a helicopter i think uh, i think that's only i think that's only fair i think that's right and uh, i'm i'm i personally am happy to see that happen on screen okay i think that just about wraps things up for this show todd thanks for joining me once again do you want to take a, a moment to let people know about uh, your own uh, podcasting and uh, film blogging uh, projects absolutely so you can find my stuff over at forgottenfilmcast.wordpress.com that's my blog which is called forgotten films we talk all about the movies that time forgot over there so the the stuff that people don't think about it anymore we don't talk about the new releases we don't talk about classics it's just all about stuff that has kind of fallen off the radar a bit so and uh over there you'll find uh links to my podcast which is called the forgotten film cast uh recent episodes of that include uh films like uh the molly mcguire's starring sean connery uh the last run with uh george c scott most recent episode is about night riders the george a romero non-zombie film where they ride around on motorcycles and joust with each other uh, um, so, uh, yeah, uh, please uh, tune into the podcast and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Forgotten Films. That's films with a Z. And as always, don't forget to check out the Exploding Helicopter website. We've recently posted a new review up there. It's all about the uh, 1980 uh, time travel spectacular, the final countdown. So uh, head over to explodinghelicopter.com and check that out. Um, if you could uh, rate or review our podcast, that would be really appreciated. Uh, it really helps us um, spread the word about what we do. But uh, we'll be back soon. But until then, keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.
Hey, did I ever tell you about my old man's delicatessen? You never stopped telling me about your old man's delicatessen. I can smell it now. That's your socks. 20 kinds of salami. 30, 30 kinds of cheese. Peppers, peppers hanging on a string. Pickles in a barrel. Did I ever tell you about my wife? 